0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always College Football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as R on Twitter, X, No, Twitter.
1: We're not calling it X. Fair. (laughs) And I'm Matt, also at MattSport723.
0: He renamed it, dog. I don't know what to tell you.
1: No, that's fake. It's still Twitter.
0: Yeah, it's Twitter until I say it's not Twitter.
1: (laughs) Are you the authority on that? I should be. Well, it'd be better than the current one, so uh, we'll we'll go with it.
0: So the NCAA went and messed with our schedule because I think what we wanted to do with today's episode was preview the Big Ten East because that's what we said we were going to do. And when it came time to actually record and release the Big Ten East preview, uh, the NCAA and Harbaugh story kind of leaked. Big Ten Media Day snuck up on us and we decided it would probably be better to hold that episode back because... We suspected that the first thing everybody would want to talk about is the stuff that is pressing right now. And so that's the plan for today. We, we've got to talk about all of the going-ons with this ridiculous NCAA investigation stuff. Spoiler alert, my opinion is that it's ridiculous. Hot take. <laughs> A really hot, I know. Just absolutely scalding. So we're just going to walk through that today, talk about that, talk about all the stuff that happened at Big Ten Media Days, which took place um, today and yesterday we, as we record this. It's Thursday evening. Um, so that's that's the deal.
1: Yeah, It's kind of funny, too, because what was it, about four or five days ago I had asked you, I said, have we ever heard anything about, like, is Harbaugh going to be the coach at the start of the season or, you know, the alleged suspension that is maybe, maybe not happening and <laughs> we, we were both just kind of like, well, I, I don't know, like nothing has happened or come out of that. So
0: I think that was literally on like Saturday or Sunday. And then on Tuesday, yeah, yeah. that story broke. And we were like, cool, cool. Yeah.
1: Right on cue, I guess. Fuck um, off.
0: You spoke it into existence <laughs> like that. How dare you?
1: I mean, I, I'm not sure I have that kind of power, but uh, I, I guess just to recap uh, for, you know, for anybody who hasn't followed it that closely.
0: Good for you, because you have more brain cells than
1: the rest of us. You're maintaining your sanity better than all of us, I'm sure. But as part of the NCAA investigation that came out of Harbaugh, apparently not fully slash truthfully recounting the events of buying a couple cheeseburgers for two already committed recruits at Brown Jug back in 2020 during the COVID dead period. So, you know, truly heinous shit.
0: Death penalty. (laughs) We We should execute Jim Harbaugh for this. I'm being sarcastic don't let Mike Valenti get a hold of it he'll think I'm serious (laughs) but like
1: yeah like the the most pedantic shit possible Um, anyway as part of that investigation and the NCAA's claims that Harbaugh was not fully forthcoming with the details of that of of those events in question Harbaugh has apparently agreed to a four-game suspension at the start of the season and in addition to that Sharon Moore and Grant Newsom are also getting one-game suspensions And Mike McDonald, who of course is now defensive coordinator for the Ravens, is getting a one-year show-cause penalty, which essentially means that he can't coach in college for one year, which obviously doesn't actually mean anything.
0: That has big, I can't break up, you can't break up with me, I'm breaking up with (laughs) you vibes. Like, he's gone, my guy. Right, he's already
1: gone, but it's also very weird because that's a very serious penalty. That's the kind of thing where like, when you have lost institutional control and you have like boosters giving out bags of cash, then the head coach gets a show cause penalty, like the most severe kind of thing. And I have no idea what the genesis of that was as it relates to Michigan's supposed violations, because outside of the brown jug nonsense and Harbaugh's like maybe lies or you know misrepresentations or whatever you want to call it, everything else that Michigan was accused of was super banal level two stuff. Like Having a coach watch players work out over Zoom, like the kind of stuff that just happens all the time, and when somebody finds out about it, it's like, "Oh, we self-reported it; it's not anything," and then nothing happens. So well, I have was there no... also
0: an allegation about having extra, like, on-field coaching? Like having I think it was having
1: lead. an analyst participate in Which, some like, sort of it, again.
0: Everybody much, is doing that yeah. so much so that they're allowing the additional coach now. Right, the NCAA changed the rule. Right,
1: they added a, a full-time coach um, to. Like, it used to be, I think, 12 full-time yeah, staffers that you could have, and then the it went up to 13 um, or something yeah, like that. that's right. But yeah, that just happened recently. So yeah, this is like totally minor piddly shit that somehow Mike McDonald ended up getting a show cause, and also Sharon Moore and Great News were getting suspended. I, I don't really understand. Just, it's all very stupid, and it's ending in kind of an appropriately stupid way in the sense that this is like so wildly disproportionate that all you can do is kind of laugh and Like, oh, fucking NCA, doing fucking NCA shit again. (laughs) Right. I
0: mean, this is, I think, quintessentially stems from the fact that the NCAA can't really punish the crime anymore, which, as we know it in the NIL era, is the pay-for-play type stuff. They can't really punish the crime. They don't have right, the Right, they've ability. given up on
1: enforcement of that because they just don't have a mechanism to enforce it given that like state laws are now allowing for this. So there's just they've lost control, and they're grasping for anything that they can look at and say, okay, this actually is something I can punish. Correct. They're, they're looking for nails because they, they're a hammer.
0: They can punish... The cover up, but they can't punish the crime, and that's deeply stupid because the crime is no longer a crime. I'm covering up what exactly? Well, and also the crime
1: was purchasing two cheeseburgers for already committed recruiting.
0: <laughs> like, and they're gonna throw the book at you over <laughs> right. this because it's all they can do at this point. They don't have the ability to come down on anybody for anybody else, anything yep. else. And so that's.
1: I mean, people have been contrasting it with what happened last week, right? The report on Tennessee came out that Tennessee was. I literally... do have the
0: NCAA statement on Tennessee. Oh, up. Yeah right now. So yeah, I was prepared to do that also because Tennessee, I mean, we're talking about 200 level one violations at Tennessee, right? Level one being the most- Including
1: actually handing out bags of cash to players. I mean, an explicit pay for play in the most egregious way. Like one of the most egregious we've seen in many years.
0: Correct. And it's like,
1: And they did nothing about that. Nothing. And and you could argue that that's fair because all of the people who were involved in that at Tennessee are gone. So I kind of get the argument that, like, why are you punishing the current players and coaches, people who had no role in any of that? But at the same time, again, I just, I, I can't even try to reconcile what they're doing with Harbaugh relative to the current broader landscape with just... Like you said, it's it's systemized bag dropping that's happening right now with quote unquote NIL. And they can't enforce that at all. And so again, regardless of your feelings about that and what you think is fair as far as who does and doesn't get punished for some of those violations, the complete logical inconsistency, just thinking about it for even five seconds makes my brain melt. So I've given up on that. And yeah, I guess that's all I can really say about the, the Harbaugh situation specifically.
0: I mean, in fairness- I can't believe I'm saying this. In fairness to the NCAA, when you actually look at what they did to Tennessee, I don't think people are are really talking about this because, of course— Nobody who is currently at Tennessee is being suspended or punished for this because nobody who is currently at Tennessee was involved. This was Josh Heupel's Tennessee. It wasn't
1: right.
0: uh, present-day Tennessee.
1: Uh, Heupel's the coach now, but or, me. you mean it was uh, Jeremy Pruitt's Tennessee, it was Jeremy right? Pruitt's before Tennessee. Heupel came Correct. in. Correct, yeah.
0: before Heupel. And
1: there are actual punishments in the form of like scholarship restrictions. It's fair, yes.
0: There are. there. I mean, there's a re- reduction in scholarships by 28, but the thing about that is you know, I've heard the MGO blog, people talk about this extensively. I've heard it on the roundtable. Scholarship limits functionally do not exist anymore. Right, because so- they're
1: using... NIL or quote unquote NIL as a workaround. They're funneling money to players in a way where right. your scholarship Corum, is essentially paid for.
0: Right. Blake Quorum, you're no longer on scholarship, but also <laughs> right. you're getting half a million this year and you can pay your tuition with it, right? Like Obviously
1: that only works for the major programs, the ones that have real donor money coming in in a way that they but can Tennessee divert it to work But yes, yeah. Right. So like So it, you can fund that in a way where the scholarship limit itself doesn't really impact you.
0: Right. Like reducing scholarships during a five year probationary term doesn't actually mean anything it's non-tangible because you just fund the players in other ways and it doesn't matter whether they're on scholarship or not right so there's stuff like that there's there's a pretty substantial financial penalty it's like eight million and some sort of revenue reduction there is stuff that is part of this penalty that's fair but it doesn't, it, it's nothing that is going to actually do anything to it, impact. It's not going
1: to meaningfully, competitively disadvantage Tennessee. No. And, and again, maybe that's fine. Like depending how you feel about crimes that were committed by people who are no longer there and what the appropriate reaction to that is. But again, just to look at that stuff and meanwhile, have significant suspensions for current coaches at Michigan for stuff that is so minor relative to what we're talking about. It's. It's, it's just really silly. hard to reconcile or understand any of it because it just doesn't make any sense. To your point, the NCA is grasping at straws. They are a hammer looking for anything they can nail. And they got Michigan because, I don't know this has ever officially been reported, but it was Matt Dudek, right? He felt kind of spurned when he left Michigan and he went to the NCA and said, hey, here's some stuff that's happening that I think you might want to look at. And that's how all of this came to be.
0: Yeah, that's that's what everybody seems to think is the case. I mean, we have no reason to dispute that, but we also have never confirmed no one's ever confirmed that. But that is the suspicion, right, is that everybody thinks it was Matt Dudek, who's the former director of recruiting. And what's deeply fucking funny about that shit is that this man was actively trying to narc on you and that's the best he could do Correct. a hamburger and a zoom workout like actively it did trying. have cheese they were cheeseburgers okay. so that
1: right to, sure. that bumps it up from a level two to a level one
0: yes <laughs> extra extra two dollars for cheese or whatever i don't exactly. know what the brown, that, that brown jug, jug yeah cheese yeah. but like no i mean i mean dead ass like he's actively trying to narc on you and that's the best he can do right.
1: and it was the most pedantic shit possible that's that if g- not for be- harbaugh like saying that he says that he simply did not remember the events in question or that he didn't remember who paid for the burgers or it, he hasn't been able to make an official statement out of uh, even at media day he said I, you know i, I want to be able to tell you what happened i have nothing to be ashamed of was his wording but in all of this dispute Obviously, this was the result, and it's it's very stupid. But
0: It's so stupid. I can't even begin to. You, the good news, if there is you know good how news, I
1: <laughs> is that this should make functionally no difference as it relates to Michigan's outlook on the season, because obviously the first four games are in order, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. So, you know, <laughs> competitively, it shouldn't change a whole lot. It does raise the question of who actually coaches those games, especially with Sharon Moore also being unavailable for the opener. My guess is that it's going to be Mike Hart, who, keep in mind, was associate head coach at Indiana before he came to Michigan and obviously could handle all of the first four games since he's not involved here. He's facing no suspension or punishment. And to me, that feels worthwhile just for continuity purposes and to kind of help ease the transition too for Sharon Moore since he's going to be taking over full-time play calling duties for the first time. So it seems to me that, like, if I were making that decision, I'd probably go with Mike Hart and just let him be in charge for four games and manage it that way. I could also see maybe Hart gets one game and then Sharon Moore comes back and and serves as acting head coach for, for three games or, you know, maybe they rotate people in somehow because Harbaugh said more than once this offseason I have – like three, four-plus future head coaches on my staff. And I think we know most of the guys who he's referring to. So, you know, maybe he gives each guy one game. That seems like kind of an odd way to do it, like in terms of a a program management thing. But Harbaugh's a weird guy, so, like, I I don't know what he's going to do. Like I said, if it were up to me, I would put Hart in charge and let him handle all of the first four games and let Sharon Moore focus on play calling and kind of getting into that full OC role. That's just my take, but uh, what do you think?
0: I've seen it suggested that Harbaugh won't actually be suspended, as in, like, he can't participate in team activities for the week leading up to the game. It's that literally on right. Saturday, he is—that's the only day that he is impacted, right? Yeah, on that's Saturday. right. I don't
1: think the NCAA has any authority over what how Harbaugh is involved in practices or other team activities. It's only that he can't be coaching the game, so— Which,
0: like— that's so. That makes it even more stupid.
1: Honestly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: because it's like, okay, he gets to be there to help prepare the team, to you know participate in the game planning, to talk to him the night before, to do walkthroughs, to do whatever the fuck he wants. But like on Saturday, he's got to sit and watch the game from the box. That's yep. what you're telling me. That's like it makes it even dumber. Honestly. I wouldn't be honest. Harbaugh could hand it over to Hart. I do suspect that it'll be Hart for the first game at the very least. What he does after that, I think, is is up in the air. Does he say, okay, it's Sharon Moore's time to take over, which I think is kind of the natural thought of of who you would want. If Sharon Moore was available for all four games, I think it'd be no-brainer that it's going to be him. He seems
1: to be the guy who is most in kind of an assistant head coach role or is, like, most on the cusp of moving into that sort of position, like, maybe next year. Well, we'll right, I mean, people
0: were talking about him with the Northwestern opening immediately, right? And so, you know, he seems to be the person who is the most – ready by everybody's account not just harbaugh's because if he's being speculated about in the media it means that there's kind of a consensus developing around sharon moore's qualifications for a role like this but i think the fact that moore is going to be unavailable for one of those games as well makes it a little more interesting than it would be otherwise to discuss it wouldn't surprise me at all if harbaugh was like we're gonna draw names out of a hat all of you can do this (laughs) Jay can do this, right? I mean, I think he thinks Jay could call a game against East Carolina, you know? And and, and I don't know what he'll do. He's bizarre. He yep. could treat it exactly the same way he did with JJ and Cade at the beginning of last year, which was the strangest thing. You get this game. You get that game. We'll see who's better. I could see him doing that with his assistants, too. He's weird, as we know. Correct. So that's something. I want to circle back for just a half second, though, to Tennessee, Mm -hmm. because I was thinking about something. They did impose a financial penalty on Tennessee, right? And it's substantial. It says it's a fine of $8 million that is equivalent to the financial impact the school would have faced if it missed the postseason during the 2023 and 2024 seasons. The panel also prescribed the legislative fine of $5,000 plus 3% of the football program budget and a fine to address... The ineligible competition in the 2020 Tax Slayer Gator Bowl game. So that's a that's a good financial penalty. What I'm curious about is if that's the way that they go. If the assuming the NCAA retains power, which in and of itself is an open question at this point, but I'm curious about if that's the way that they go in this era where they can't really control the coaches and they can't really suspend them and they can't really punish pay for play, they're going to say, okay, fine, you're going to pay for play, but you're going to do it with less money than your competitors. Or you're going like if purse strings are going to be more how they try to get to their member institutions, because you can imagine in like, um, imagine a situation where you've got like a full revenue share right in the future, which we kind of all think is coming down the pike eventually because, It's gonna be hard to get your donors to give 10, 20 million dollars to a class of recruits year after year after year after year. It's much easier to just take some of the TV money and allocate it to the schools and distribute it.
1: Well, from like a collective bargaining. If it gets to that point, you would assume they would want something more structured than whatever the donors can give us in any given recruiting
0: class. But I still imagine that the NCAA or an NCAA-like organization is going to control certain things about these schools. For example, I don't imagine that the requirement that the students be students is ever going away. I would hope not. And so... Maybe if they catch you in a in a situation where that's what you're cheating on, like financial penalties in the same way that a professional league operates, I think might be more the way that they do these kind of things on a go forward basis. I'm just wondering if that's a little bit of of like a, a snapshot into what the future of the NCAA penalizing people is like, that it's much more financial than it is you know, suspension, Scholarship reductions. Scholarship reductions and that kind of thing, because they don't, they're, they're toothless now. Scholarship reductions right. totally toothless for the reasons I described earlier.
1: Could be, although I would argue that that sort of penalty, they're probably going to have to ramp it up because for 200 plus level one violations and penalties, it was 8 million plus some other like marginal kind of tack-ons, call it 10 million dollars. And we're talking about right now, annual payouts just from TV deals to each school of what, like 60, 70 million in the SEC and Big Ten, somewhere in that ballpark. So, I mean, I'm not saying that $10 million is a small amount of money. I was gonna say, you got more money than
0: I think you do. You're scoffing at 10 million. But if that's
1: what you get thrown at you for multiple years of egregious violations, I mean, 15% of one year's payout from the conference, that's just not that much. That's not really impactful.
0: I mean, but is it enough that you're losing your recruits to other schools when you're trying to get them to come? Right, like on Probably the not. margins. I don't know, but I'm just—I just thought that was an interesting component of it that people aren't talking about enough, and I wanted to highlight it. We can go back yeah, to talking yeah. about who's going to call place for Michigan. No. <laughs> I got—I re- got really no, off fair. the road there, but yeah. I, I did want to raise it just because it, it felt like a maybe a glimpse into the future a little bit that you. That you you know you we're really having to reimagine a lot of things about college football right now and and reimagining the NCAA or some sort of governing body for the sport I think has been one of the more amorphous things about it we we really don't know what that's going to look like and so thinking about okay what can the penalties possibly be in the future what kind of control will this organization have if it's the NCAA or if it's not is something that I think is really interesting and kind of worth. Yeah. doing so I wanted to raise it we can get back on track now <laughs> but that's all
1: no that's fair I mean I, I don't think either one of us really knows what Harbaugh is going to do in terms of who's uh, I mean I think we know for the most part who's going to call plays like the coordinator situation isn't really changing outside of the opener with more being unavailable so that one's I guess TBD I assume we're probably not going to find out much more about that until the week of the East Carolina game and possibly the same in terms of who is actually going to be serving as head coach so we'll just have to see on that i I do think this is an idea i threw out on twitter that i really liked which was they should absolutely make harbaugh the honorary captain against rutgers for homecoming and announce it in a totally straight-faced way like in recognition of michigan's big 10 opener please welcome the head coach that's led michigan to consecutive big 10 titles and you know just do the whole thing like it's you know like he's tom brady going out there and everybody gives him a standing ovation and whatever and hand him a burger as he walks off and just let him fully embrace being the heel. I think he would genuinely enjoy that. And it would be just a really entertaining experience. I'm sure it won't happen, but that's my, uh, my, my dream scenario for <laughs> Michigan kind of giving the bird to the NCAA on this.
0: Here's a question about this Harbaugh suspension. Do you think that the risk of the NCAA coming down on Harbaugh about this is that Harbaugh gets sick of the bullshit and actually does pull the trigger on leaving for the NFL because I think it's not a secret at this point that that is part of what drove John Beeline out of college basketball. He was just like, I don't appreciate the way that the direction that this sport is headed. I don't appreciate having to recruit my own roster to have to, Play on an entirely not level playing field with respect to this pay-for-play stuff, all of it. I'm following rules and no one else is following rules and I don't want to play this game anymore. I think, you know, at the time people speculated that that was Beeline's problem, I think at this point it's it's known that that was something that was on John Beeline's mind. Mm-hmm. So do we think that the risk of this is that it drives Harbaugh out of college football, period. It's the thing that finally pushes him out the door because he's almost walked through that door a couple of times here in the last couple of years. And so is that the real harm here, that it could cost Michigan Jim Harbaugh in the grand scheme of things?
1: On the one hand, I do think that's possible. I mean, right, we've seen him flirt, for lack of a better term, two years in a row. And he does seem to have that needle in his brain of like, I never won the Super Bowl. And that's the thing that's that's out there for me. And I would think that anything from a college coaching standpoint that makes coaching Michigan or coaching college football in general less desirable only adds weight to that side of the scale. On the other hand, he already knew this was coming, right? I mean, we first heard about this back in, what, early to mid-January. And when it came out, there were reports that given the situation and the Kind of standoff that harbaugh was in with the ncaa that he was looking at up to a six game suspension and it was after that that we heard about you know potential mutual interest between him and was it the raiders and the bears and uh, the colts may i can't remember exactly but it was several teams that were brought up possibly in connection and then it kind of lingered on for a while and we wondered what was going to happen it seems like if he had options and he wanted to pull the trigger and avoid this mess He he could have done that already and then it was after that that he came back and said I want to be at Michigan for as long as they'll have me right which is not that much different from what he said the year before so who knows (laughs) exactly how committal that really is but I don't know I, I look at both and I'm like it seems possible I don't know that I would want to deal with everything that is going on with the kind of uncertainty around college football right now if I had those options but at the same time when he could have left and didn't and now we'll be putting this behind him and seems to have Michigan in a really good place for the next few years to be able to kind of, you know, frankly, be able to end his career here if he wants to and potentially do it with you know several playoff runs, maybe a national championship at some point if it ever comes together that way.
0: From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> right. I,
1: I could see it both ways, I guess. So I, I don't know. I mean, do I think it's a risk? Like a, a little bit. I don't know if it moves the needle that much for him or not. It seems like if it did, he could have done something about it already. But... I guess, I guess there's no way to know that know the answer to that question for sure until Harbaugh is coaching here next year and, and the year beyond or, or isn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I, I flip-flop on it for the exact same reasons you described. I mean, we have a data point that suggests it doesn't matter that much to him, which is it was already looming and he returned right. anyway. But, you know, frustration builds over time, and, you know, could that – could his level of frustration increase with time and it just build and build and build and build and build, you know? Yeah. It could. I don't really know, but I, I just thought I would ask see what your thoughts were.
1: No, oh, yeah, that's a fair question. Uh, on the topic of kind of things changing in college football, that's probably a pretty good segue to one of the other items we wanted to talk about, which was NBC the other day released its night game schedule for the upcoming year. Uh, keep in mind with the new Big Ten TV contracts, NBC now has – part of that package including a primetime game every Saturday night and great news Michigan Michigan State will be a 730 kick in East Lansing (laughs) they insist
0: (laughs) on torturing me
1: you don't want a full like 10 11 hours that day to just soak in the dread that comes along with every Michigan Michigan State game
0: at least it's not Halloween this year
1: that's true it is a week earlier than it usually has been
0: successfully celebrated Halloween in like five years I don't know what to I just can't do it they keep putting that game on Halloween and so what happens is I am a ball of nerves yep and I can't think about anything I can't put a costume together I can't do shit and people are like come to my party and I'm like don't fucking talk to me actually (laughs) I like I will cut you do not speak to me and and I don't go I so get ready because we're going as cowboy Barbie and Ken yeah (laughs) he seems thrilled
1: We'll come back to that.
0: <laughs> He's like, actually, please move the game to Halloween. Thank you. Because no, it it's our it, bye this year. So that's Halloween right. is the bye. They moved so. the
1: Michigan State game a week earlier. It's the 21st of October, and then Michigan's bye is the 28th. So it is kind of nice that we get Halloween weekend more or less free of, of that. <laughs> but on the other hand, we get the Michigan State night game in East Lansing, which is going to be terrible. Just that game is always so disgustingly intense, and then after what happened last year, which you referenced the Mike Valenti thing, talking about how it's going to be a quote-unquote tinderbox, and if you're a Michigan fan, you should not show up because you're going to end up quote-unquote eating a battery. Like, he sucks, but also he does represent a not insignificant portion of that fan base. Like, there is a a real part of the fan base, I think, that is totally in agreement with that. And it just is kind of indicative of where this rivalry is at. So putting that at night... And giving fans just more time to drink and be even more what they usually are (laughs) just does not feel like a great idea to me but here we are
0: yeah I went to a game in East Lansing exactly one time it was 2018 and I was with a friend of mine and was you know Doing what fans do, make comments about the game. Mm-hmm. But like sarcastically, again, like fans do, right? So there are guys behind me, every time Michigan gets a penalty, he would be like, Cheaters and I'd be like, That's dumb, but like fine. I'm gonna do it right back. And so, you know, the next time Michigan State took a penalty, I'll turn around and looked at that guy and it was like, Cheaters can't win without cheating, can you? Like I said, the same shit he sure. said. And this man like turned to my friend and was like, would you shut your woman up? And I was like, I was like, number one. Not his. I'm like, I, I was furious and I was ready to fight people. And if you gave me seven hours of additional drinking, I would have been even more ready to fight people because that was right. a noon kick. That was early. And so it, it's just a bad, like... Th- You're these... just
1: further exacerbating the existing intensity and hatred that's already there, which is, is not going to help the situation.
0: These These teams shouldn't be allowed to play at night until we have determined that we know how to behave. Like it's like <laughs> kindergartners. It's like, no, you can't yeah. go outside until you've you've shown me that you're responsible you need some enough.
1: stars on your sheet to get that back.
0: Yeah, because it's rough. It really is. And so I hate that. I mean obviously I'm not gonna be at that shit. I will be watching from the comfort of my couch. But like I don't love it. We knew it was coming, probably just given the timing and how big of a draw it is and mid to late October it's kind of peak night game time like we knew it's the thing is it's gonna
1: be one of the biggest like most watched games on the Big Ten schedule most years I mean after Michigan Ohio State which is obviously the top of the list and we're gonna talk about more about that in a second but you've generally got Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan Michigan State like in some order at like two and three as the most watched games in any given year like maybe that changes with USC and UCLA coming in you're gonna have some new matchups but as it stands right now, that's going to be one of the bigger draws on the calendar. Michigan-Ohio State's not going to be a night game. I think that's a pretty safe statement, at least for the foreseeable future. So if you're talking about...
0: Unless they move it to September like Ryan Day wants.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, like, unless that game ends up in a totally different situation, whether that's earlier in the year or, or whatever, like... Michigan-Michigan State is going to be one of the the premier draws for a possible night game. So I think this is something that we're probably going to have to come to grips with. And really the same holds true for, we've only mentioned the Michigan State game, but Michigan's also getting another home night game. We already knew about the Bowling Green game, right? In the non-conference, that was going to be a night game already. But NBC added Purdue at Michigan on November 4th as another night game. And big that 10 one,
0: championship game rematch. Oh,
1: that's right. <laughs> that one, I, I think it gets a little bit late into the season for what I would prefer for night games. I mean, honestly, I don't love night games all that much to begin with. I don't mind if it, yeah, like one non-conference game or, you know, you get one, like, like a Michigan-Notre Dame game early in the season. Like, sure, I get that. That's a fun night game. But I just think that given what we were just talking about with Michigan in general being a, a big draw and NBC having – Now, a night game every week, a Big Ten night game every week, all season. We're just going to see more of those. Like, Michigan's going to be in two to three a year, and we're just going to have to get used to that. It won't necessarily be in November all the time. It might be, especially for Michigan being, like, it's pretty fucking cold in November, as I'm sure most of you know. (laughs) Like, I would assume that USC and UCLA are going to take some of those slots, and they'll probably try to make it a little bit more balanced out weather-wise. Maybe you get, like, Michigan and Penn State, they try to shift – earlier in the year for the night games they choose and the california schools or somebody further south whatever but again i think we're just going to have to get used to the reality that michigan is going to be in more night games in general whether it is into november or not and um it's just kind of an is what it is situation with the tv contract being what it is now
0: yeah we sound like such boomers on night games (laughs) i you know the 2011 version of me is dying right now because I thought that was the coolest thing to ever happen.
1: They can be really fun, like and I said. I don't mind I like wanted one, one big more one. Of them. Yeah, right. And
0: now I'm like, mm, actually, I hate this. I think it's because the more attached I am to how Michigan performs, which has only gotten that's a, that attachment has only grown over time, the Michigan's ability to control my mood, control my week, control my, has only grown over time. In 2011, it was at its lowest, frankly, right? We were bad for the first couple years I was in college. It's hard to really be attached to something when they suck that much. And then 2011 was like the year, right? For me that that started. And so the, as more time goes on, and the more attached and more interested I I feel like I am in the outcome of these games, the less I want to wait for them on Saturday morning. I want this shit over. I wanna not be sweating it out for nine hours until this game kicks off. I don't wanna have to hear people talk about it preview it at every halftime of every game that I'm watching all day long I want it like yep. out 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 of my system and that's really my opposition to it it's not like oh I'm tired and I don't want to drive and it's not that it's just i'm so anxious like yeah. it's it's because I'm mentally unstable <laughs> but it's like I'm so anxious that I don't want to wait I, j- I just rip the band-aid off and and let me let me get back to being able to breathe normally yeah you know
1: it's, no, like- it's, it's totally the same for me I mean like I said I have no like Conceptual objection to night games, but it is that experience, along with, to some extent, I think, the first few years when we were getting, you know, these sporadic, like a Notre Dame night game one year and a Penn State night game another year, it was sort of, it was like one big fun spectacle. That was the one night game, and you, you could sort of plan around that and that experience. But now when it's Bowling Green and it's Purdue it's like
0: when it's a quarter of your season
1: it's not only it's a quarter of the season but it's games where it's like uh, I'm not gonna get uh, this isn't gonna be a more fun experience for me to go watch Michigan beat Bowling Green by 45 at night than it is at noon I'd rather just have the normal game day experience and not screw with all the you know getting out of the stadium at, at 11 30 at night and all the traffic and so part of it is the like like you said the the fact that we're just mentally ill as it relates to Michigan football, and you want to you not have to wait around all day for it. Part of it is the fact that I think they're they're kind of degrading the experience in terms of the quality of the game and what you get out of it as a fan. So between those two things, I just, you know, I, I don't love it, but I'm also looking at it and being like, well, I, I just know that this is the way it's going to be for the, the near future, at least with the NBC contract. So might as well get used to it and, and figure out the <laughs> the best way to enjoy it as it is.
0: Speaking of degrading the experience, Ryan Day was asked at Big Ten Media Day about the possibility of Michigan and Ohio State playing in back-to-back weeks, which I think we all agree that that, to me, does degrade the experience of the Michigan-Ohio State game in some respects, which is why you and I have long, on this podcast, advocated for a Big Ten championship game setup in which the number one ranked team plays the top-ranked team they have not yet beaten
1: well right that's the thing is that I, I don't think he's wrong right what he said was that there needs to be a quote-unquote long discussion that quote we should consider when we play it because you may end up playing in back-to-back weeks which would be awkward
0: it would be awkward to get your ass handed to you that in back-to-back really... weeks <laughs> i'm not sure you're awkward right. is even
1: <laughs> but no not i mean not awkward
0: it, for me dog. It, no
1: you're right though it, it, that does significantly degrade the experience and it degrades the experience of i mean if you're the big 10 you're by far most watched, most valuable, just generally biggest game on the schedule. And to set up this system where probably pretty regularly you're going to have a rematch of that game one week later, that that to me just feels like a a terrible approach. And so I, I don't think Day is entirely wrong about that. But yes, your suggestion, what we talked about with not moving the game, not ruining that thing, like your most valuable property but instead just setting up a conference championship game where you mostly avoid or eliminate that possibility by having it be, I'm totally on board with that suggestion, that the top ranked team or the top team in the standings at the end of the regular season plays the next highest ranked or, or you know next best team in the standings that it hasn't yet beaten. So if you go back to last year, you look at 2022 as an example, Michigan's already beaten Ohio State, They've already beaten Penn State. You kind of go down the list, and I think you might have actually gotten to Purdue. I think it would have been Michigan Purdue. And if you've already beaten the number two, three, four, five teams in the conference, then that's fine. You've already earned that. All those teams had their shot at you, and they missed. So you don't get a rematch in the conference championship game. And that's just a like a really. It didn't take us that long to come up with that idea. Like this was not something where like, I don't even
0: think we came we wrote up with a that idea. Thesis. I read it on Twitter. There's no chance <laughs> so, I came up with. that. I'm not that smart. Let's be real.
1: (laughs) Right, this isn't something that took like you know a fucking thesis to try to figure out how you come up with a better system.
0: Kevin Warren or whoever replaced Kevin Warren, get a Twitter and read the replies, okay? Because the ideas are in the replies. Also, the things that will melt your brain are in the replies. But you gotta like put on the hazmat suit and find the gems that are in there. And this was one of them. I saw it on Twitter somewhere. I don't know who came up with it.
1: But that's the thing is that you don't have to like you don't even have to be that creative. Here, to get to something that would work so much better and would avoid the exact problem that Ohio State is now laying out, right? I mean, they're looking at this and saying, this is our biggest game. We know this is Michigan's biggest game. We don't want to degrade this. And you are. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. So just fix it with a little bit of creativity in the way that you're structuring your conference championship game. There are a million different ways that you could do this. And instead, they took the simplest route, the simplest, worst possible route of saying... It's just going to be the top two teams in the standings, knowing full well that pretty regularly, at least based on the way it looks right now, peering into the crystal ball, it's going to be Michigan and Ohio State.
0: Yeah, we've complained about this enough. We complained about it when they released the format for the Big Ten Championship game. What I'm really here to complain about is that Ryan Day is a bitch baby because (laughs) while it is perfectly okay for me to complain about this, it's not okay for you to complain about this. You head football coach at the Ohio State University are supposed to be like, we'll knock up with Michigan anytime. We don't care when that game is played. Well, that's what was so funny is that's
1: exactly what... That's
0: what Jim Harbaugh said. That's what my coach said today.
1: (laughs) Right, he was asked specifically about Ryan Day's comment at Media Day today, because Ryan Day went yesterday, right? He went the first day and Harbaugh went the second day. And so he was asked about it. And his comment was, we'll play that whenever. (laughs) Which is... Just perfectly representative, I think, of kind of Jim Harbaugh and what he is, and Ryan Day and what he is. Which, in your words, "bitch baby." Was that was that the terminology? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Mikey still actually said essentially the same thing. That, uh, he was asked the same general question. You know, there's been talk of Ohio State, and Michigan, and with the new format, does that game need to be moved? And I believe his quote was, "We'll be ready to rock and roll at any time." <laughs>
0: see and that it really is it's so emblematic of the difference between these two coaches right now which is you know for ryan day frankly it's mostly optics it, it feels like he doesn't know how to talk to the people that are listening the closest to what he has to say which is so bizarre it's like he doesn't speak football fan well, i
1: think that's actually right like ryan day is a pretty smart guy He's and almost it's, too smart, yes, actually. It's almost like he doesn't have the like the football coach brain that's just football, 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 football. Like most of these guys, they have only one mode and it's football coach. And Ryan Day, I think, is actually a little bit smarter and a little bit more thoughtful than that. But that makes it come across in a way where it's like he doesn't get it or he's he's soft, basically, is what it comes across as. And
0: right, you, you feel that a lot
1: in the identity of that program. I don't know if that you know really truly soaks through. But maybe it does. Uh,
0: yeah, no. the The nuance isn't something you come to expect from football coaches when they're talking about football, right. and so you're right. It's it's almost too reflective. It's almost too. It's almost too thoughtful. It's too nuanced, and so as a result, people are like, "This guy doesn't know that what you're supposed to do is just be like, rub some dirt in it, and we'll go play." What was Harbaugh's Which,
1: quote about? Uh, I think it might have been about. Cade McNamara, actually, when he was asked by an Iowa reporter at Media Days about what it meant for JJ to have Cade McNamara as a mentor and kind of what Cade did for the program. And he was talking about Cade even having gotten hurt hurt in 2020 and, and kind of toughing it out and playing through that, like eking out that win against Rutgers, right, that really kind of turned out to be a huge turning point for the program this tragic but he mentioned that that Cade was playing through injury and he said he's got that gravel in his gut which is an extremely Harbaugh quote but also it's it's football coach quote like that's how they think about things and Ryan Day doesn't really he just it's it's very yeah it's very emblematic of kind of what the two programs are that Ryan Day is thinking about like well, you know, you want both teams to get into the playoff. And he's probably looking at it from a lens of we've lost that game two years in a row. And we want to make sure we're still giving ourselves a chance to get in. And meanwhile, Michigan's going, we'll drop the gloves any fucking second. Let's go. <laughs> you tell us the time and place and we're there for a fucking fight.
0: <laughs> right. And and that's really it. It's so funny because, you know, we've talked about this at length, but the guy's lost like three games as Ohio State's head coach. <laughs> he's Unbelievable in terms of what he has managed to accomplish outside of, you know, these Michigan games and the game against Oregon, right, that they
1: – Yeah, I mean, he's dropped. lost two conference games in three years.
0: Right. Incredible run, actually. But he, I feel like he just needs, like, dumb guy media training. Like, he <laughs> needs someone that's, like, 35% dumber than him to tell him what to say. And I genuinely feel like he will come across better. Right. Because all they want is someone who has that attitude of, like – just make it seem like you're equally tough and equally ready for a fight at any moment in time, and you've won. It's over. But he doesn't do that, and it's really funny. He, he just doesn't have the ability yeah. to give the people what they want as far as the sound bites and the answers and the attitude, and it's really funny watching Ohio State fans react to it. I think it's hilarious, but that's the thing. I can complain about the timing of the game and how it dilutes it and how they should think about moving it or how they should change the format of the Big Ten Championship game so it doesn't happen. I get to complain about that because I'm a fan you don't get to complain about that as Ryan Day and he doesn't understand right the difference I mean, of where I is, sit and uh, where he sits
1: yeah yeah and, and it is optics right but at the same time like the quotes the words that have come out of their mouth I, I really do think reflect exactly what each of those guys are and that's reflected on the field and what their teams are
0: correct so like I think he could probably get away with not changing the substance if he changed the optics because most people aren't that smart <laughs> to notice that the team isn't reflect. Like he's just saying these things and the team doesn't actually reflect well, the toughness that he says. At some point you have unless to they lose that to field. Michigan five times in a row, right. at which point people will be able to see through it and he'll be out the door. But like I think he could buy himself a little bit more goodwill if he just said the right things, even if Ohio State's on-field identity didn't change. But he just doesn't do that. For whatever reason, He maybe he just can't. It's not true to who he is, yeah. and he doesn't want to, or whatever it may be. But he just doesn't. He can't give the people what they want. It's very funny. I'm really enjoying it. I think he should continue being just like that, actually. Totally agree. No notes.
1: <laughs> A couple other things we wanted to talk about out of Big Ten Media Day. Blake Corum was there rocking his uh, bright blue velvet jacket with the, the BC2 chain. Looking like a million bucks, and I think he, he might have actually used that phrase. Said, "I feel like a million bucks. I've been totally cleared to go." So that was really great to hear. Our, uh, our our tiny king.
0: I was so happy to see him. I mean, he's he's so funny, and you know that was another thing. People talk about culture in football a lot. You know, it's this word that gets thrown out there sometimes in a sometimes in a meaningless way. I right? think often
1: in a meaningless way.
0: But Michigan's culture really does bleed through these players and you can hear it when they talk because Mikey, right, gave a quote that like you mentioned exactly mirrored Harbaugh's about when they would play the Michigan, Ohio state game. Mikey Sanders was like, whatever, whenever
1: yeah. we're ready. We're ready to rock and roll anytime
0: like that. And Blake is talking about, you know, Michigan's aspirations for the season. And he was asked actually something that I didn't know. he, which was that Michigan has never won three consecutive outright Big Ten titles. I did In its history, know that. in
1: 144 years. Yeah, well, it, I guess the Big Ten hasn't existed for all 144, but that's still a pretty wild statistic.
0: Correct. I didn't know that. I mean, I know that they were shared and so obvious for like a long, long part of, of right. the Big Ten's history. And so that obviously cuts into it. But I, I didn't realize that they had never won three in a row outright. And so, you know, he's being asked about that and asked about their larger aspirations. And he says, basically the national championship and the you know all that stuff it's in the back of our mind but we've just got it's workman like basically we've got to come in every day and he was like and it starts at East Carolina and then he was like and then it's the next game and then it's the next game i genuinely I'm not sure Blake Corum knows who their second opponent is he might not I, I ge- I'm genuinely not certain that he does because he was just like okay it's East Carolina it's Fall yep. Camp and it's East Carolina and that's, that's he did
1: the- say and then we play Ohio State on November 25th he knows that one he knows that
0: <laughs> one but I don't think he has any idea necessarily about the right. order of stuff in between because he is so singularly focused on, okay, and it's the next little goal and it's the next little goal and it's the next little goal and if we keep hitting those, we'll hit the big one, right? And that is so Jim Harbaugh and the way that Mikey answers his question, it's so Jim Harbaugh. Well, Forum like,
1: just is that way in general, especially. I mean, when he made his announcement that he was coming back on the Rich Eisen show, right? I mean, his announcement was basically it's time to get to work. It's all about working getting where you want to be. It takes work. Like, he just, that's just who he is fundamentally. And and I do think that's also how Harbaugh is. And the reason that those guys, like, resonate with each other the way that they do is that it's all about, like, working to be better at football. That's all there is, that's their singular goal. And guys who, that is the way that they are built, like, I think Michigan is full of those guys right now, or at least full enough of them at, like, the leadership level that it bleeds all the way through.
0: Yeah, it's carrying the team right now. And and that's what I mean. The it's culture. And it like yeah. Harbaugh is that of that ilk and his team is reflecting that in a big way right now. And you could just hear it in every single answer, which I thought was really compelling. So, By the I way, while we're it. talking
1: about Blake, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast, but a couple of weeks back, we stumbled across I think it was was it HBO Max has Correct. a documentary called The Cost of Winning. It's from like twenty nineteen, twenty twenty. I think it must be twenty nineteen actually, because it was nineteen, yes. It was um it's about Saint Francis Academy in Baltimore, which was Blake Coram's high school. So he is prominently featured as one of the star players on that team, coached by former Michigan assistant Biff Pogi. And it's a, a really fascinating documentary. I mean, this is a like very inner city Baltimore high school, like the locker room, quote unquote locker room is picnic tables by the side of the field that has a prison in the backyard and i mean this is pretty rough stuff but it's a really really well done documentary about the kids on that team and you know so many of them trying to accomplish their like football dreams basically including Blake Corum and he was actually he was not from Baltimore he was from like a, a small town in northern virginia if i Correct. remember right so he was like commuting an hour and a half two hours a day to go to this school in Baltimore to play for Biff Pogey and to give himself the chance to to be where he is now, basically, right? To be at a place like Michigan doing the things he's doing.
0: And he was the way that we are describing. He was like that at 17. Oh,
1: yeah. He's exactly the same person. It's wild.
0: You know, he's like... I'm working because my dad works really hard and I want to work so that he never has to work again or whatever. Like he he has this singular drive about him that is so uncommon in people that young. It's actually yep. wild. It's really interesting because at different points in the documentary you see Biff and his coaching staff kind of coming down on players who are unfocused, who Aren't working hard in the gym. Aren't working hard in the classroom. Aren't taking care of themselves. Aren't doing the things that need to get done for them to achieve their goals. Never once was Blake Corum involved no. in any one of those conversations because he's just also built a number that of players
1: way. who are, uh, uh, you know, presumably from very tough backgrounds who needed academic counseling, tutoring to be able to stay eligible or to you know be in position to play college football. Corum was also obviously not among among that group, at least as far as we saw in the documentary. No, and he gave an incredible quote, one that I've referenced probably ten times since we saw it, where they're showing some of these kids kind of outside of the, the school environment a couple times, sort of highlighting individual guys. And at one point, they're with Coram, and he's got he, he's running with a couple dogs, uh, maybe a couple pit bulls, I can't remember for sure, but he's out running like I think around his house, kind of in the countryside with his dogs, and he gives this quote to the the documentary crew where he says if size mattered, the elephant would be the king of the jungle. <laughs> it's just, yeah,
0: they were asking him specifically about the fact that he is small. Right, right yeah, and, yeah.
1: You're kind and of undersized. Crew. How do you how do you make it work? If size mattered, the elephant would be the king of the jungle. And God, it's just such a perfect Blake Coram quote. It's like, oh, this dude's perfect. We love him.
0: Yeah, now that we've we finished with Blake Coram power hour, because I could talk, <laughs> I we know I love him. I've been calling him tiny king for a year. But like, I really do. He's the best. But he was great in the documentary. If you haven't seen it and you want to scratch the football itch oh, over yeah. the last four weeks before we get into game really time, well you done do it.
1: And really interesting, especially with uh, with Poji now taking over um, Charlotte. He's the head coach at Charlotte this year and has actually we were kind of looking up. I wonder what happened to some of these guys who were on his team who were, you know, three, four star recruits. And like half of those guys actually have transferred to Charlotte this year to play for him, which is going to be just really interesting, I think. To... Yeah,
0: Nakai Hill Green's in it too. That's right. a little yeah. less prominently, but there were there were three guys: uh, Savage, right?
1: Osman Savage, yes. Yeah, it was that... another Michigan recruit who didn't didn't last very long at Michigan, but he was on that team. Um, so yeah, it, it's really interesting. Definitely worth watching if, like you said, you want to scratch the football itch here for the next next few weeks.
0: We've got 30 days left.
1: 30 days, that's right. Until
0: college football returns. So, not that we're counting.
1: <laughs> no, no, never. On the football topic, specifically football, since that is what the show is about, Harbaugh did have a couple other it's comments that were kind of Blake more. <laughs> it's like I 30% it about Blake. About Blake Hora. Hora. But Harbaugh did have a couple other, like, more on field specific comments that was actually a little bit more than I thought we were going to get out of Media Day, since it's so much often just pure coach speak. You know, we're excited about the season, blah, blah, blah. He called out Colston Loveland in a way that was really interesting. Where he, he got into this thing where, you know, Harbaugh does this where he just names guys. He just gets into, like, oh, we're excited about the offensive line. And then he lists like 12 guys where it's like he just wants to recognize that guys are working hard. So he just starts naming guys. And then he says, and at tight end, and he says something like, I know I'm on camera, so I got to be careful here. But he says, Colston Loveland. I think the longer it takes him to realize how good he is, the better it's going to be for him. But the secret's out. He is really, really good. And the way that he like paused and thought about that and emphasized the really good was like, oh, man. Like, Harbaugh is, <laughs> Harbaugh is excited about this guy. You just don't hear him. Like, he praises guys. You know, he, he talked about JJ as a once-in-a-generation talent and that he does everything that he has to do for the team. And, you know, he talks about quorum the same way, certainly. Like, he obviously loves quorum and the work ethic and all of that. But you don't hear him often, like, especially for a guy coming off his freshman year, just to call that out and put that kind of emphasis on it. Like, he is excited about Colston Loveland. So that's something that uh, I don't know how much Michigan's going to throw the ball, but whatever, like, the Michigan tight end equivalent is of Marvin Harrison numbers, I'm, I'm buying stock right now in Colston Loveland.
0: That's approximately 40% of Marvin Harrison's numbers, that's right? That's
1: probably about right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we looked in, I think Jake Butt, his last two years, had something like 50 catches for 650 yards each year. It was pretty similar between his junior and senior years. And something I think like that's that. a realistic yeah. expectation for Colston Loveland. I think, I mean, we'll see, but yeah. The way that Harbaugh sounds talking about him, I think he's going to have a huge year. He did also mention the second corner spot. He started talking about, that position and kind of, you know, acknowledging that we know it's a question mark and that it's maybe the only real question mark about this team. And he mentioned in this order, Amorian Walker, Josh Wallace, Jaden McBurrows, and then he said, and a few other guys, (laughs) which kind of makes it sound like that's the sort of the depth chart, for lack of a better word. In continuing to talk about those guys and just, you know, seeing how that goes into camp, he mentioned that Mikey will be a starter and Will Johnson will be a starter and then he said, so that third starter could be you know, one of those other guys or it could be at nickel, which I think kind of, again, acknowledges the reality that if that does look like a potential weakness or a problem, it could be Mikey moving over to the outside and playing there, and maybe it's one of the other like safety options, a, a Keon sab or somebody like that sliding into nickel. So I, th- I think they've got some options there. There wasn't really anything that we didn't know or expect between the names that he listed there or talking about the possibility of playing Mikey there if needed. But it was interesting, I thought, to, to hear him acknowledge it and to hear him list Amorian Walker first. It kind of sounds like that's maybe still the guy they, they think will or at least want to win that starting job. Um, so that was something, maybe. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. I mean, otherwise, like I said, it was mostly coach speak. It was kind of the standard stuff. He didn't really give a, a response about the NCA. Uh, investigation other than to say that nothing to be ashamed of and eventually it'll all come out etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, I, that was pretty much it from a, a Harbaugh or, or, or Michigan point of view there, there were obviously a couple other things that were kind of fun slash interesting from other coaches Mel Tucker you, you particularly enjoyed this one I think
0: Mel Tucker gave a quote suggesting that this is his most talented team at Michigan State and I don't even know where to begin with that because you just lost two very talented receivers, one to graduation. I and mean, they lost by the,
1: far their best player in, in Keon Coleman.
0: The transfer portal, and you've replaced them with nothing. Yep. And your quarterback walked out the door. Is <laughs> <And, laughs> that <It's not> bad? <laughs> I'm so baffled by this quote. Like, is he being serious? Is he just talking for the sake of talking is he trying to slight the players that walked out of the door on him I just genuinely do not understand how he can possibly say this with a straight face you and I talked about it the other day and we think there might be one Michigan State player on both sides of the ball that we would take over a Michigan player at the same position
1: yeah maybe two I think there's like two defenders I don't think there's a single player on offense and maybe only the two on defense who I think would would play a significant amount for Michigan like that that team is, and we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we do here in the next few days, the Big Ten East preview, but yeah, that team looks bleak. I will say that they brought in a bunch of young guys from the portal, including a defensive lineman from Texas A&M. You know, they got some guys who have like, who I think were reasonably touted recruits. So it could be that he's looking kind of at the, like the back half of the roster and saying, this is probably in a better spot now than it was when I got here. Right. When D'Antonio left, I mean, the recruiting had been pretty rough. The recruiting is also pretty rough now. They've been papering it over with transfers to some extent. But yeah, I mean, at the top end, it's pretty bleak. So that's a a very optimistic statement. Right. So you're (laughs)
0: saying at the top end, they lost a lot, but they also brought the floor up. And as a result, it might be more talented across the board. I suppose that's like mathematically Yeah, that's the
1: optimistic interpretation of what he's saying. More realistically, it's probably just like a a kind of motivational thing of like, we don't have a lot of like guys here who are going to carry this team. So I got to convince the guys I do have that they can win some games because otherwise it could be really fucking ugly. So that's fun.
0: I just, I saw that quote and I was like, all right, Mel, okay.
1: (laughs) This one isn't a quote, but can I point out that we were watching the, the media days, right? And I noticed when Luke Fickle went up to the podium, He's wearing like a a, a dark suit like a, a black jacket with white kind of checkers and a red tie you know kind of wisconsin themed and he's got black dress shoes but he was wearing no socks
0: was he wearing no socks or was he wearing like no show socks well, like you couldn't i
1: tell. couldn't see him wearing so like you didn't see any socks which seemed very odd for like wearing a dark suit like i, I know i'm not like the most fashion forward guy in the world but that seemed strange
0: okay i need details because i didn't notice this What did the pant look like? Like, was it a tailored, like, slim pant that was short at the ankle? Like, did it have that kind of tuxedo look for men with the, like,
1: ultra-tailored pant? It wasn't quite that slim. It was a pretty well-fitted suit. I mean, you know, Luke Fickles, he looked like a decently-dressed guy. Yeah, you got money. Get a a suit. I mean, it looked like a reasonably nice suit. And then, you know, black kind of standard oxford style dress shoes but Wait,
0: they were oxfords they weren't like loafers i, I
1: think so no I, I think they were like this, standard these details dress shoes.
0: matter okay they did
1: not look like loafers to me it wasn't a great view because it was kind of zoomed out as he's walking up to the podium you don't get the close-in view i'm
0: gonna we're, they, we're
1: getting into some I'm some I'm real detail like here
0: zepruder filming luke fickle's appearance they did not the look like to loafers look to me
1: but we can we can we'll go to the replay on this but yeah it was very odd to me i was like is he not wearing socks with his dress shoes
0: people do that
1: well, yeah, but like usually with more low freestyle, or with more of like a like a summer suit, right? Which I feel like a no, black suit and black shoes. You the, it, that was not without. a
0: summer suit. I saw the suit.
1: Right, that's what I mean. Like but that, like, that did not look like the suit that you would not wear socks. I'm with. just
0: laughing because you sound like my father. Because <laughs> when when Matt picked out his tuxedo for our wedding, my dad, his like one thing, he was like tell me you're wearing socks. He has like a thick Middle Eastern accent. He's like, tell me you're wearing socks. Tell me he's wearing socks, Serena. Because one of my cousins got married not that long ago and he did the thing like tuxedo pant like really you know a little bit short so you can see a little bit of that ankle and no socks and my dad was repulsed by this idea. He was like tell me Matt's not an idiot and he's going to wear socks. Yeah when I
1: found out about that I almost got loafers just so I could not wear socks <laughs> just to poke him a little bit but yes. I went with the, the standard attire.
0: But you sound like my dad is what I'm saying. Suggest- no I'm, I'm going to be like zabrudering It's not that no socks now.
1: bothers me as a, like on principle. It was just that the look I was like that that seems weird
0: now this is a especially for podcast. a Wisconsin
1: coach like I, I can't imagine a, a lot of Wisconsin fans being like oh yeah I like the the sharp like loafer with no sock look that's not Wisconsin you're
0: telling me Paul Christ wasn't dressed they're right gonna
1: yet? be <laughs> I assume Paul Christ was wearing like cargo shorts to his Big Ten media
0: <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah, yeah I
1: feel like Luke Fickle throwing the ball around and wearing the suits with no socks is just it, it, it's very it's very not Wisconsin I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that goes
0: I didn't know this was a fashion podcast. Listen, I'm not opposed, but it's become a fashion podcast now. That's right. It's versatility.
1: (laughs) We, We cover lots of ground. And I think that, that covers most of what we wanted to talk about from Big Ten Media Day. I did want to make one. Uh, c- can I make my like New York Times correction here at the end of this article Oh, my God, God please. Week? This has
0: been bothering him for like a week and a half. And since he realized he messed it up, he has not shut up about it. So, yeah, please make your correction. Please. Well,
1: I don't want to come across like a non-ball knower. That's just embarrassing. That would be embarrassing.
0: So couldn't, when couldn't we did
1: the Big, <laughs> the Big Ten West preview last week and we were talking about Iowa, I mentioned Tyler Goodson at running back. But this is just my brain going bad because I'm old and i got the names mixed up because tyler goodson was the starter at the beginning of last year and then around mid-season a little before mid-season he got more or less replaced by freshman caleb johnson which is who i was thinking of and johnson was really good in the second half of the year he had i think about 500 yards in the last six games ended up having actually a pretty good statistical season for not really playing much until three four games in so That was kind of part of my logic for picking Iowa, was just thinking about progression there, him going from freshman to sophomore and having maybe a little bit of support from a passing game that Iowa's never had before. So anyway, I don't completely regret my Iowa pick and just wanted to jump back and make sure that uh, the people realized I I do know who the players are.
0: You are a ball knower. I'm honestly impressed we can now name four offensive players on Iowa because that's more than I thought they had, frankly. So... (laughs) I'm not going to get on your back for flip-flopping running back names, but other folks might. And so we, we have to make it clear that you know this is a very well-researched, very professional podcast right. of ball-knowers. Extremely
1: professional, always.
0: Well, with that, if you're still here, thank you for listening. We will be back, and I think we're going to release them in short succession. I think we're going to record the Big Ten Yeah, we have the Big Ten preview. East preview
1: more or less ready to go, so it's just going to be a matter of in the next couple of days here over the weekend getting this recorded and cleaned up, and, and we'll get it out.
0: Yeah, so y'all, you went like a little bit over, a little bit over a week, a week and a half between them, and now you're gonna get like two and five days. So we're making up for it.
1: We're giving the people what they want.
0: But with that, if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back in just a few days. That's
1: right. Go blue.